0: For scripture reading tonight, we turn to Isaiah chapter 40, one of the great high points in the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah has been called the Gospel of the Old Testament, and that's partly because in This book, we learn so much about Jesus' ministry, and in fact, we find it here. Now, the text for the sermon is going to be found in the last verses in this chapter, verses 27 through 31. What we're going to do is read verses 1 through 11, and then we will skip ahead to those closing verses. So first, we'll begin in Isaiah 40 at verse 1. There we have the famous and unforgettable words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold, your God Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. And then the prophet talks about the incomparable majesty and greatness of the true God. And then we come to verse 27. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What an astonishing passage. Do you realize what the Bible is telling you tonight? That by God's grace and by his power in this coming week, you can fly and soar like an eagle. We who are so weak in ourselves can scarcely believe this. We don't have to be pessimistic going into this new week because guess what? God's power works within the hearts and lives of his people so that God's people here are pictured as flying, mounting up like powerful eagles. So that needs to be our perspective of ourselves. Our perspective going into the new week isn't, well, woe is me, I am so weak and everything is hopeless. I'm not going to be able to deal with the trials of life. I'm not going to be able to fight against my besetting sins. No, the good news of the gospel is that by the power of divine grace, we will fly like an eagle. Now, God brings up this truth, and I'm so glad that it is God's word that teaches that we can fly like eagles or we would scarcely believe it. But this is raised by the fact that God's people, when they were in captivity in the Babylon in the future would make false claims about God. And here in the beginning of our text, in verse 27, what is going on is that God is predicting what his people will say when they are in captivity in Babylon in the future. And they're going to be making some false claims about God. In Babylon, they will say, first of all, my way is hidden from the Lord. They're going to say, God can't see my situation. They're going to have wicked doubts. They're going to act like God is not the omniscient God. And basically, they're going to say, God doesn't see the hurts I have. God doesn't see my trials. He doesn't see what the Babylonians are doing to me. And then in connection with that, the second false claim they're going to make is that at the end of verse 27, and my right is disregarded by my God. So what they're saying is that God is not being a just God. God doesn't know what's going on with them. He doesn't know what they're going through. And on top of that, God is not actually acting as the just judge of the universe. He's not vindicating his people. They're saying, we're being wronged. We're being persecuted. We're being mistreated. And God is not standing up for us Those are their lying claims. So they're saying two things. One, God is ignorant. He doesn't understand. Number two, God is apparently unwilling to vindicate us. Now, we might not talk like that, but that's somehow sometimes how we act and how we think. Now, maybe you showed up in church tonight and you know, things are going relatively well in your life. You know how it is in the Christian life, how, yeah, we're dealing with the, the, the normal struggles of the Christian life, the weekly, daily battle against our besetting sins, our challenges that we face all the time, fighting against the devil and the wicked world and so on. The normal trials of life. Or maybe you came to church tonight and you have a great burden on your shoulders, Maybe you even feel desperate. When I preached this sermon a few weeks back, it was in a church where a couple had just lost their teenage daughter in a car accident. And so then you're desperate for help. Maybe that's how you feel tonight too. You feel, I just can't go on. I'm, I'm desperate. I need help. And all you can say is, God, help me. Now, either way, whether we come here just realizing that we need the strength that comes from God, or if tonight we're saying, help. Either way, we have good news. The good news is that God rebuts these false claims about him. God asserts that he knows what you're going through. He is the God who knows. And on top of that, he is the God who will give you strength to deal with your trials and your troubles and your tears as you wait on him. I love how this passage says amazing things. Not only does it say that God gives gives power to the fate, but it even says he increases strength. So tremendously encouraging. And our strength is pictured as if we are like eagles who mount up. The title of my sermon is Mounting Up with Wings as Eagles. We'll look at the meaning of that. And then secondly, the possibility of us doing that. And then thirdly, the significance of this. Now in the text here, God is contrasting the weakness of fallen human beings with the mighty power that God gives to his people. There's a huge contrast here. In verse 30, we find the first side of that. Here we find that us fallen human beings are pictured as being Physically, spiritually, in ourselves, weak. It says, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. So that's a striking picture. Because when we think of youth, we think of young kids who are just a fount of energy. I was just talking to a grandfather who had his grandson stay at his house For the summertime, and he talked about how his grandson, who's 17 years old, would work all day, and then after supper, he would go and work out at a gym and lift weights, and grandpa was astonished. Some of you have recently been to the youth convention, and I've been a chaperone before. And what do you see when you're a chaperone to a convention? You see, these kids are like energizer bunnies. They get up early in the morning, and they go, and they go, and they run, and they play, and then they stay up late talking, and then they hardly get any sleep, and they get up the next morning, and they're there, they are. go, 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 go again. That's the picture. Here there's a reference to the proverbial energy of youth. Think about some of the young people in the congregation here. Uh, if... We had a 5K race and said, okay, let's have our our church be involved in a 5K race. Those youth could take off and they could run with great vigor and great energy. That's the picture. But here what God says is that even those who have the greatest strength, even humans with the greatest strength, the youth, in fact, faint and get tired and weary and fall exhausted. It says, even you shall faint and be weary. Yeah, have you ever driven home with some children from a youth convention? What do you notice? On the way home, yeah, there probably is some serious sleeping going on in the car. It says, and the young men shall fall exhausted. So the picture is of, yeah, some young men running a race. And I used to run the mile when I was in high school. And what happened when we got finished? Just running one mile, 1,600 meters. Well, some of the guys would fall over, they'd be throwing up, absolutely exhausted. So we're told, yeah, even youths will faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Now, that's a picture of us human beings apart from divine grace. It's a picture of our physical and spiritual weakness that we have in ourselves. And it's realistic, isn't it? In ourselves, we are so weak or so fragile. Psychologically, we're weak. Just get in, you know, one little controversy with one person and erect your whole day. Just face one little baby temptation and we give in. In ourselves, we are weak and we can't go on. So that's the first scene. That is humbling, but the second scene is exhilarating. It's a scene in which God pictures his covenant people like eagles. He says, but they who wait for the Lord, he says in verse 31, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Two weeks ago, I was in the Wyalusing State Park in Wisconsin, standing on a big bluff over the Mississippi River. And what I saw were eagles, powerful eagles, flying over the Mississippi River and over the area where the Wisconsin River came and joined the Mississippi. I got my iPhone out. I wanted to try to take a video of them, but it didn't work. They were way too far off. There they were, powerful birds, flying high over the valley. picture of strength and might and, power. and astonishingly, God says that those who wait upon him, that is, we children of God, we shall mount up with wings like eagles. That is, it's like we're at rest, like an eagle is in a tree or something like that or in its nest, and then it mounts up, it takes off with great power the muscle in its wings, and it is able to fly and soar high into the air. That is a picture of the child of God. Even the weakest child of God, who despairs of his own strength. The oldest child of God. 95 years old. Can't even walk or run even, but that's what he is pictured as. What an amazing, amazing metaphor. And there's not just that metaphor too. It's, it's beautiful how we're given a number of more metaphors. The second metaphor is that we shall run and not be weary. So now speaking about us as God's children, this is all of God's children. This is the elderly saints too. The picture is of us now being in a marathon and we're running in the marathon. Even us, those of us who are over 50 and over 60 and over 70, we're running and guess what? We're not tired out. We run 10 miles and we're still running strong. We come to the 15 mile, we're still going strong. That's a picture of the child God. We will run with spiritual power and not get tired, even. And then we have an additional metaphor that deals with walking they shall walk and not faint. Here, I think we have a wonderful metaphor of the Christian life as a pilgrimage. How, as Christians, yes, our Christian walk is like a long pilgrimage. We're like Christian in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, and we're walking on the narrow path that leads to life, and it's a long hike, and there's all kinds of challenges we face, but guess what? We continue to walk. We walk, and we don't faint. That's the picture. So it's three beautiful metaphors of the power and strength that we, God's children, have. Now, I think the first one is the most remarkable here. The picture of us soaring with powerful wings like an eagle. We're starting to have some eagles here in Indiana, too, aren't we? If you go to the river, you have a good chance of seeing some of them. We see more hawks around here, and of course, hawks are quite impressive, too, with their power of flight and their ability to, to seize their prey. But here are the pictures of us like a mighty eagle. And it is a picture of surging power. Sometimes when I've read the Lord of the Rings and in the story, there's one point where there are mighty eagles that come and will even carry the hobbits around. And I think, well, why didn't they do that from the very beginning? Why don't, why don't they have Frodo just get on a mighty eagle's wings and get carried along to his destination where he could destroy the ring? But that's not how it happened. But notice, there too, eagles are a picture of power. They can soar thousands of feet. They can outdistance their foes. That's a picture of us. Now, I think it is remarkable that God pictures you and me as eagles because did you know that in the Bible? First of all, God pictures himself as a powerful eagle. So isn't that striking? We wouldn't dare to use this analogy or metaphor to refer to ourselves if God didn't do that because God uses this, first of all, to refer to himself. Turn back in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 32 and you'll see how God does this in the Pentateuch. In Deuteronomy 32. Thirty-two, beginning at verse 11. God talks about how he delivered his people from bondage in Egypt as if he was an eagle that carried them out. We read, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. Here, God pictures himself as a mighty eagle who carries his people on his pinions, that is, on his wings. It's like God's people. Moses and Joshua and all the Israelites are like little eaglets that are on his wings. But God is the mighty eagle. And then we find a similar figure, figure back in Exodus. Look at Exodus 19 and verse 4. There we have the same metaphor. God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So God says, I carried you on my wings. I'm like a powerful eagle and I brought you out of the land of captivity and brought you Into the promised land. I get a kick out of Psalm eighty one, verse ten, because in Psalm eighty one, verse ten, there's one. This is one more passage where God, I think, pictures himself as an eagle. Here, he pictures himself as the one who feeds his people, like an eagle feeds its young. In Psalm eighty one, verse ten, it says, "I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt." Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. And I think the picture is here of God like a bird, like an eagle, I suppose, who is feeding his little eaglets. And so God here in the Bible says, I was like an eagle. Just like this powerful bird can fly so powerfully and even carry its little eaglets on its wings, so I delivered you from bondage in Egypt. But now God says to us here in Isaiah 40, that we are like eagles. He says, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. We are God's eagle Christians. God has remade you and he has empowered you so that you can fly. And I, I don't think we want to say here that the idea is that God enables us to fly above all the trials of life. God's word never teaches that God is going to deliver us from all the trials that, that come our way in this life. No, but here's the thing. I think the point is this, is that by the power of grace, we can fly right through the trials of life. By the power that comes from God, the Holy Spirit, when we lose our wife. My father-in-law at 95 has just lost his wife to whom he was married for 65 years. How can he go on? How can he deal with that? By the power of divine grace, my father-in-law can fly like an eagle, and he is by God's grace. When we face temptations, for example, how do we, how do we deal with the temptations? Well, is it that God is going to say, okay, no more temptations? I'm going to deliver you so that you never face any temptations anymore. No, God does in his sovereignty send temptations, but he also, by the power of grace, enables us to fly and say no to temptation. So God empowers us to fly through the trials of life through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit in the Bible, of course, is also pictured as a heavenly dove. He's also pictured as the breath of God, the wind of God. And so let's, let's take that metaphor here. It's like the Holy Spirit is like the wind beneath our wings. Christ has earned salvation and power for us. The Holy Spirit applies it to us. It is through the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, through this Mighty wind, the third person of the Holy Trinity, that we can fly and deal with trouble. So any strength that we might imagine that we have in ourselves, or suppose that we have, here instead we find that no, any real, genuine, spiritual strength we have comes from God. And by this strengthening grace, we mount up, that is, we take off in what seems to be an apparent effortless flight. So people might be surprised around us and they say, how are you able to reject that temptation? Well, the answer is because God empowers me to fly through it. How can we have such bounding vitality? It's because the of miracle of grace, because God gives us power. It's because Christ gives us this power. We can do all things. That is, we can fly through whatever trials we have right now in our life, whatever troubles, through Christ who strengthens us. We can do all things. Notice the broadness of that all things. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I don't care what hurt you're dealing with right now. Maybe you're dealing with a trial of sickness. Maybe you're just feeling very down. Maybe you're fighting against that besetting sin or whatever it might be. Through the power of Jesus Christ by his spirit, we are able to fly and to serve the Lord. Why in the world does God, the Father Almighty, give to great sinners like you and me, such great sinners who are so guilty of such shameful and embarrassing sins? Why does He gave to us such spiritual power. Well, it's because the Father chose us to fly. He chose us to be eagle Christians. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 3 blesses God because he has blessed us, Paul says, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Notice, God chose us. He chose us. He set his love upon us. He chose us so that we would be his children. He chose us so that he would empower us. He chose us not that we would go walking on unrepentantly and weakly and sin. No, he chose us so that we would be holy. How is it that we can be holy? Only because he empowers us by his spirit. The Father chose us to fly. The Son paid for us to fly. In Isaiah 40, we have beautiful statements about the forgiveness of our sins. The very opening words of this chapter were that the prophet is to speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, not only that her warfare is ended, but that her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Christ paid for our sins. He saved us. He redeemed us so that we could be given grace to be holy. And then we even read about our Savior in verse 11. When it says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. There, we have a picture of us too as being like sheep and lambs that are in themselves very fragile and very weak. And Christ carries us, he supports us, he strengthens us. But the Good Shepherd gave himself for us, and he also earned for us the Holy Spirit. At the cross, he paid for our sins to reconcile us to God. By his righteous life, all 33 years of his life, he earned for us the grace to fly. He earned for us the grace of the Holy Spirit. I love how the apostle celebrates, too, that what Christ has earned for us is mighty power. In the Bible, you know, the word grace often carries the idea of unmerited favor. At times, though, the word has the connotations of the power the spiritual strength that god gives to us that we don't deserve listen to the apostle paul talk about how god wields his power in his redemption of us he says and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might and he talks about how some of that great might was displayed at the resurrection of jesus christ And once again, that great might is going to be displayed when our bodies are raised from the dead at the last day. But already now, we are receiving powerful grace. Now, God's people in the future in Babylon would doubt all of this. They would say, my way is hidden from the Lord, verse 27, and my right is disregarded by my God. Well, if God doesn't know what we're going through, and if God isn't there with power to vindicate his people, then we're not going to fly like eagles. We're not going to run and not be weary. We're not going to walk and not faint. But notice how God rebuts this. The prophet rebuts this in verse 28, and In doing so, he shows how it is possible for you and me to fly like an eagle. He says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. Notice how the prophet comes right back and says, No, God is not ignorant. He is the God who knows, He is the omniscient God. He comes right back and says, no, God is, it's not like God is, God is not going to act in righteousness. No, God never gets tired. He is the almighty God. He is the creator. Isn't it interesting, too, how the prophet rebuts those, those saints in the future by, talking, by just stating the names of God? In verse 28, he brings up names like Jehovah God or Yahweh. That's why the word Lord is in capital letters there. He's pointing to the fact that, no, God is the I am who I am. He is the God who is independent. He is the God who is also rock solid in his covenant faithfulness. So, no, he will be faithful to his covenant people. And then he mentions the name God, which is Elohim, the name that points to his power, his creative might in the great work of creation. And then also he asserts that God is the creator of the ends of the earth. He is the one who made everything in the world, even to the very end of the earth. And the point is this. If God is the mighty creator who made all things, then he will have the power to assist us in the trials of life. So the prophet uses the names of God to assert that God is will deliver his people. And I love, too, how Jesus, when confronted by his opponents, in a controversy said, before Abraham was, I am. I love, too, how the Apostle John talks about how Jesus is the creator. By him, all things were made. He is the word. In the beginning was the word. By him, all things made that were made. Here the prophet, too, asserts that God is omnipotent. He does that in verse 28 when he says he does not faint or grow weary. You know, Elijah had a lot of fun on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. After all morning, they'd been yelling and crying, Oh, Baal, hear us. You know, send down fire from heaven on the sacrifice. And they're cutting themselves. Remember what Elijah says. Oh, well, maybe your God is taking a nap. Maybe he's asleep. Well, Elijah is mocking their God who is made in the image of human beings. The one true God, he never gets weary. The psalmist celebrates, he never, never slumbers or sleeps. He is the omnipotent God. It's absurd to think about the eternal God, the one who is the source of all life, the creator of all things, somehow getting right in the face and tired and having to say, I need to sit down and catch my breath And take a nap. No, far from God ever being weary, Jesus makes the point that even on the Lord's Day, even on the Sabbath day, He says, My Father still works. God is at work today, upholding the creation, governing everything in His omnipotent power. So, no, God has the power to help us. So the prophet asserts God's omnipotence. He is all powerful. And then He says, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. What is power? Power is the capacity and ability to do something. I have some older students who are in their late 60s, and guess what they can still do? They can still pump iron, pump 300, 400 pounds. They have the capacity, they have the ability to do that. That's what power is. You see, God gives us the capacity to say yes to what is good and pure and lovely. No to what is sinful out of his inexhaustible resources of strength. God gives power to the faint. That's us in ourselves. We're faint. We're weak. We're tired. God gives strength. But not only that, we're told he increases strength. So in this coming week, it's not just like, you know, we're going to have power to go on in the Christian life. Faith to endure trials, but God will even increase our strength. And the word there that's used in the Hebrew is not even a word that just means add. It means like more like multiply. And you kids even know that when you add numbers, like eight plus eight, well, you get only 16. But if you go eight multiplied by eight, eight times eight, you know you get a quite a bit bigger number, don't you? And you know what that number probably is. Well, that's what we find here. God increases strength. And then the prophet asserts God's omniscience. He says his understanding is unsearchable. I could give you a test that I recently gave my students in soteriology, and as you took the exam, you'd soon find out there were limits to your understanding of the great doctrines of the Christian faith. You could question me on a whole wide range of topics, and you would very soon see that there are limits to my understanding of whatever that topic might be. But our God is the God who knows, He has inexhaustible knowledge, He is omniscient, He knows all things that can be known. Isn't that astonishing? He knows every truth that exists, that it is possible for a deity to know. He is the God who knows, and therefore he knows what we're going through. He knows what we're going to go through this week because he ordained it. He's the God who knows. So that's why it is possible for us to fly, to mount up with wings like eagles, because our God is powerful, our God is powerful. He knows us, and then he also knows us in his covenant love, too. Now, the other big point that is made in this passage is that it is possible for us to mount up with wings like eagles if and as we wait on the Lord. That's verse 31. Notice what it says there. It says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. So does the Bible say, well, everybody and their brother can mount up with wings like eagles. No. God's word is not saying that wicked people can receive this mighty strength that comes from God. No. This power is only for a particular people. Is this power this week even for a confessing Christian who is backsliding? And the answer is no. No. Notice, only those who wait on the Lord mount up with wings like eagles and can run and not be weary and walk and not faint. He says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Well, then we need to understand what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Since we know that we need strength in this coming week, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, to be faithful, to serve the Lord as our master wants us to serve him, to take up our crosses and deny ourselves as our master calls us to do, what does it mean that we must wait on the Lord? What does that involve? Well, first, that we wait on the Lord means that we will go into the presence of the king. In plain English, it means we need to pray So we could say in plain English, if you don't pray, then these blessings are not for you. We wait on the Lord as we go to the king. We come into the presence of the great king of the universe and say, Lord, help me. Give me strength. Give me grace. Help me to love this very unlovable person. Give me the patience to deal with this person who's driving me crazy. We need to go to the Lord and ask him and wait upon our king. Waiting on God means that we trust in Him, that we believe that our Father is able to help us, that He will keep His promises, the promises in His Word, that as we do wait on Him, we will receive the strength that is promised in this text. You know, I might be tempted to say, unfortunately, this also means that we will have to wait. We don't like to wait. Some of you moms know what it's like when your kids are constantly calling your name. You know, when you have lots of little kids, mom, 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 mom. And sometimes mom has to say, just wait a minute. You know, I'm talking to someone. Just wait a minute. I'm helping out your little brother or sister. And little kids don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear, wait. Or if we go to a fast food place and we make our order and we're in a hurry and we get up to the window, they say, could you please pull aside and park over there in parking spot number two? We don't like to wait. But you see, we're just foolish children, and our Heavenly Father is the all-wise Heavenly Father. And sometimes that means that we need to wait on Him. We need to wait for His time, and when He wants to give the grace, He wants to give for the moment, He wants to give it. So we wait on Him. That means we need to be patient. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul has a different view of patience than we do the apostle paul it is astonishing to me that he actually connects the two in a way we normally wouldn't he says this to the colossians he's praying for them and he says may you be strengthened with all power notice notice how paul is praying that the saints there would have power that's what we're talking about tonight too power he says according to his glorious might Notice how it's the might of Christ that is the source for a power. Notice how he's praying for that. He says, for all endurance and patience with joy. Notice what he's praying that the saints would have. He's saying, may you have patience with joy. We would never put those two together. We'd say, well, either we're patient, we're having to be patient, we're not very happy about it, or we're happy and joyful because we're not having to wait anymore. Paul says, may God give you patience with joy. Now, why can we have patience with joy as we wait up on the Lord? The answer is this. Because we wait in the confident, happy expectation that God will bless us in his time. And so we need to wait on the Lord. We need to pray to the Lord. That doesn't mean that we're totally inactive. Let's say... You're single, and the trial you're facing is that you so do want to find a life's mate. Don't say, well, I'm going to pray to the Lord for a life's mate, but then when I, I see a girl who is attractive to me and seems to be a good Christian girl, that I, I don't ask her out on a date. No, we wait on the Lord, but God also ordains the means. So sometimes, for example, let's say your, your boss is just mistreating you and you're saying, I need to find a new job. Yes, go to the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. But then if someone comes and says, well, here, why don't you go apply for this job? I've got an interview set up for you. Don't say, well, I'm waiting on the Lord, so I'm not going to go to the interview. It's a both and. But we're being told, don't be impatient. Don't have the unbelief of impatience. Don't try to run ahead against God on one side, and don't try to bail out on the Lord in the other. And said, "Wait upon the Lord." That's what we're exhorted here. Wait upon the Lord. So this week we need to be praying. We need to be waiting upon the Lord, because in the way of waiting on the Lord, the Lord strengthens us and empowers us to fly like an eagle. John Piper says you battle the unbelief of impatience by using the promises of God to persuade your heart that God's timing and God's guidance and God's sovereignty are going to take this frustrated, boxed-in, unproductive situation and make something eternally valuable out of it. And that is certainly what God can do. Okay, now let's bring this home. Let's all confess in the presence of the Lord that God knows our situation. Our great high priest is truly human, and he can understand the trials we're facing, and also our God has the power available to help us. It's true in ourselves, we are so weak. We have so many troubles. But here's the thing, in the way of waiting upon the Lord the Lord will give us the strength we, do, we need to do what he calls us to do. Now, that's the important point here. As we wait upon the Lord, the Lord will give to us the grace and strength we need to do what he has called us to do. He will give us the resources we need to carry out our pilgrimage. Yes, it's true that sometimes we have desires And we wish things would happen that God hasn't ordained. And God doesn't promise to give us strength for those things which he hasn't ordained for us. But he has promised to give us the grace we need for the pilgrimage he has called us to do. The other thing is that tonight we need to despair in our own strength. Let's not imagine that in ourselves we have any power or strength to deal with all the trials and temptations of life or the devils. We have no strength in ourselves. But the Bible says this, James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humbly wait upon the Lord this week. Do pray, do wait on the Lord humbly. And so let's despair of any wisdom in ourselves, any power in ourselves. Let's not think we can deal with things by ourselves. Instead let's Flee to God, wait upon him, and in that way we will experience that we will sprout wings and fly. And we will soar through the trials and challenges of life. And then we will dash ahead in the Christian life. Do you believe God's word here? God's word says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you believe what God says here? One of my students recently said, hey, Professor Brumwell, do you realize in the Heidelberg Catechism when it says, it asks the question, what is true faith? The answer is that I believe all things contained in God's word. Do you believe all things contained in God's word? Well, one thing contained in God's word is that God's saints, as they wait on him, will mount up with wings like eagles. As we wait on the Lord, we will walk and not be weary. We take one step after another on our pilgrimage, and we will make it to the heavenly city. This summer... I was reading a book by Bill Bryson, who is a very comical travel writer. And in one of his books, he writes about how even though he was fat and overweight and out of shape, he decided he was going to hike the Appalachian Trail. The Appalachian Trail is 2,600 miles long. There are some people who fly all the way across the country. Young people fly all the way across the country. They show up after... One day hiking the Appalachian Trail, they say, This is not what I thought it was, and they get back in their plane and go home again. And then Bryson decides he'll invite one of his friends to come with him, who is a recovering alcoholic, big fat guy. And so the story becomes a comedy of these two guys trying to hike the Appalachian Trail. Now, after doing this for weeks, Bill Bryson writes, he says there's one thing he finally learned that you know you hike all day long and you see all the same things, the same hills, the same trees. It seems like the same tree that fell over your path was just like the one you tried to climb over the day before. You come to another stream, and you have to hike through it, and it reminds you of the same stream you hike through four hours earlier on in the day. And then the rain starts falling day after day. He says, but he learned this. What you need to do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that's what God promises to us. He says, you shall walk and not faint. We're on that walk heading to the celestial city, the heavenly city, and God says, we're going to keep walking on it, and we're not going to faint. We're going to make it safely there, and we're going to cross the Jordan. I'm reminded how there are grandmothers in their 80s who have hiked the entire Appalachian Trail. Well, that's a picture of us, whether we're old or young. By the power of divine grace, as we wait on the Lord, we shall walk and not faint. So believe this good news and wait on the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that when we feel weak or when we feel overwhelmed by trials that because of Jesus' saving work on our behalf and because of the Holy Spirit's work of applying that redeemed work to us, we can go on in the Christian life. And it's not like we're pictured here just barely making it by the skin of our teeth either. We're flying, we're running. So do empower us by your loving grace in this coming week so that the saints here are encouraged and strengthened, and also grant us the grace we need to pray. In Jesus' name we pray this, and for his glory, amen.